right, good morning, Cultivate Church. How we feeling this morning? Come on, man. It is an amazing day. Uh, welcome to church, everybody. So want to welcome everyone watching live online right now. And I know it's already been said, but it is truly an honor to get to hang out with you guys today. I mean, you literally could have been doing anything else this morning. I know a lot of you want to be at home crying over your March Madness busted brackets right now. But it's okay. You've made it today, and it is going to be just an awesome day. If you want to go ahead and pull out your notes inside your worship guide, follow along with us today. If you're a digital note taker like I am, you can download the notes on the Cultivate Church app or scan the QR code uh, on the back of uh, the notes today. As we are on week three of our series, Smell of Smoke. And this idea, Smell of Smoke, it comes out of our theme verses. We are in the entire book of Jude this month. And if you want bonus points in heaven, you want to be that overachiever and just get prepared for next week, I encourage you, go read the entire book of Jude this afternoon. It will take you all of 10 minutes, all one chapter of it. We have time to be able to do that. But this theme verse, this idea of smell of smoke, it comes out of Jude chapter 1 verse 23. It says, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. You see, Jude gives us a great mission statement as to why we actually exist here on earth. It's to rescue others, to snatch them from the flames of judgment. And this be, idea of being smell of smoke is that we would get so close to the flames that sometimes it's going to get uncomfortable. Sometimes it may get a little hot, but we are called to rescue people. So we're going to be so close that when we exit, sometimes we're going to smell a little bit like smoke. And in, in week one, we kind of set the whole series up of the reason why we need to pursue God, that we need to be prepared to defend our faith, to contend our faith, to tell people why it is we believe in Jesus. The reason being because we live in a world now, in a culture now, that loves to try and rewrite the rule book. In fact, loves to twist the truth to fit their own narrative and their own agenda. And week two, we talked about things to look out for, what it looks like whenever we actually remove God from our lives. And if we take a look around, we kind of see where we stand today. We see where God has been removed from our schools. He's been removed from our communities, from our TV shows, from any type of movies. He's removed from our music. What happens whenever God is removed from our marriages, from our kids, from our families? We see the direction that we've been in. And then today we have titled the message, Ashes to Ashes. And ash is just the remnants of where fire has been. And if we're not there to rescue people from the fire, they will end their lives in ashes. Just as we came into this world as dust, we'll leave that way. Leave in ashes. And we're going to talk about our important role, how important it is in the reality and the totality of eternity. Because here's the deal. Here's the truth. That every single one of us, the single thing that we all have in common is that at some point in time, our time here on earth, it will be over. I know you guys are so happy you came to church today. Y'all are so encouraged today. Like, hey, this guy telling us, you know, we're eventually going to die one day. Someone's thinking, I woke up for this this morning. But we're going to talk through some things today about our role and just how frail and how brief life can actually be. I had this experience with me just over the last week or so where one of my employees, he lost his wife suddenly and unexpectedly. She didn't have cancer. She wasn't sick. There were no signs of it. She woke up one morning, just didn't feel well, just thought it was being sick or having a cold, just like anyone else was. And I had a conference call with him and other employees, and at 4 o'clock that afternoon, we were off the call. He was on the call, and 
four and a half hours later, she was no longer with us. It just shows us how frail and how brief life can be, that we never actually know when our moment is going to come, that it can happen at any time. That's why it is so important for us as followers of Jesus to understand what our role here is on earth. So today we're going to talk through several things that we need to make sure we are prepared for. So let's pray. Let's ask God to talk to us today, see what he wants to tell us, and watch him do what he can only do. God, we love you. We are so thankful for today and these moments to gather together, just to come together and just love and worship you. And God, I just want to pray for every single one of us, whatever it is that's going on in our lives, the weight that we feel, the things that nobody knows about. God, that you'll just be present, that we'll be open enough to hear from you, to receive your word today, that you'll speak to us specifically in the things that are going on in our lives. And God, you will do what only you can do, that you will, you will turn the corner for us, God. You will lead us to the path that you want us to be on that is better for us, God. And we'll give you all the credit for all you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing in this totality of eternity, the reality important role of eternity, the first thing we have to know and understand, Jesus is coming. He's coming. Whether we like it or not, Jesus is coming. Look at what Jude says in verse 14. It says, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. The thing is, just like our own lives, we have absolutely no idea when that might be. Could be this afternoon. Could be next week. Could be a thousand years from now. We have absolutely no idea when he's coming. But what we do know, what the Bible teaches us, is that he is, in fact, coming. Even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back yet. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 24. You write that down as a reference. He says, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father know whenever he's coming. And I have to think that Jesus kind of looks at the world right now, and he's like just on the edge of his seat like, today's the day. Have you seen these people? Today has to be the day. But what we know is that he is in fact coming. And listen to how he explains what it's going to be like when he comes. It's in Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39. He says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and wedding right up to the time when Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man returns. Meaning this, that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be doing our thing like we do every single day. We'll be going to banquets and parties and weddings and we're going to get up and we're going to fight traffic on 65 to go to work on Monday morning and then we're going to hate our jobs and our bosses and we're going to keep complaining on social media and we're going to sit on the couch and watch TV while we're scrolling through our phones and we're going to do the things that we always do just like it was any other day. Even in Noah's day, Noah's the only guy, he's getting ready, he's getting prepared. Noah was the local crazy guy. Like, have y'all seen what the deal is with Noah? What's his problem? He's talking about a boat and a flood. What's a flood? We've never heard of a flood before. What is this crazy guy talking about? We're just going to go on and live our own life. He has absolutely lost it. But that's what it's going to be like. And whenever that time comes, we're going to be just like these people were. That here comes Jesus. And we're going to be like, whoa, 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 hold up. 
Well, I, I didn't know. I, didn't, I just, I got to get ready. Give me five minutes. Jesus is coming and we don't know when. And the majority of people believe Jesus is coming. This was a study that was done that 55% of all U.S. adults believe Jesus is coming back. 55% believe Jesus is coming back. 75% of Christians believe Jesus is coming back. So if Jesus is coming back, what are we doing? Why are we going to be like it is in Noah's day? Why in the world are we not going to be prepared? 75% of all Christians believe that Jesus is, in fact, coming back. Yet, only 28% of people go to church at least once or twice a month. 28%. To be considered a regular churchgoer, a regular attender, means you show up once every six weeks. And you're considered a regular churchgoer. That's just under nine times per year. And we already have Christmas and Easter wrapped up. Everyone goes to church then. So that's seven other times on our own idea that we're going to go to church. Nine times a year, which essentially equates to nine hours a year we're going to spend in church trying to get our cup filled, trying to get prepared for Jesus coming back. Why are we not prepared? I have three extras for you to write down. Here's some reasons why we're not prepared. We are so distracted. We're so distracted by all the stuff. We see that shiny thing over there. That's awesome. I need to go to that. But it wasn't that cool. So now I'm going to go over here because this shiny thing is really, really awesome over here. And there's that job back over there. But I really don't like it. So I'm going to go back over to this job. And it's just constantly we're distracted by everything else. Our eyes are not on Jesus whatsoever. Another problem that we have are these guys right here. Oh, boy, these things are distracting. We can't have conversations with people because we're looking at them. We do it whenever we drive. We are so distracted by our cell phones. In fact, there was another study done that showed worldwide. Now, think about it. This is worldwide. The average person spends two hours and 31 minutes on their cell phone a day. And you may be thinking, well, that's not too bad. Worldwide. There are places all over the world that do not have cell phones, do not have access to cell phones, Worldwide, two hours and 31 minutes. So let me put it in perspective of the United States and America and us. This is scary, especially if you have children who are teenagers or will be teenagers, that this has gone up an hour over the last year, that the teenagers will spend on social media an average of eight hours and 39 minutes per day. Almost as much time as the uh, average churchgoer spends going to church per year on social media. Also, study found that the average U.S. adult will spend 1,300 hours this year on social media. That's nearly 54 days of this year spent on social media. Y'all, we are so distracted. We aren't even focused that Jesus is going to come back. Also shows that the average American spends four hours a week watching live sports. And I love sports. We all love our sports. We've watched way more March Madness than that than we have over the last few days. But four hours a week on live sports. Could you possibly imagine? Maybe we took an hour a week away from live sports. Maybe a couple hours a week away from social media and focused that on Jesus. What that could look like. What our world could look like if we stopped focusing on all the junk all around us, focused it on Jesus, and we would stop fighting over those trivial things this week because there'll be something new next week that we need to be angry about. We wouldn't focus so much on social media or sports or politics or any of that. If we focused it on Jesus, how prepared we would be 
for Jesus to come back. We are so distracted. Another reason we aren't prepared is because we're deceived. We get distracted by the stuff over here, and we're deceived whenever it does not work. It did not do what we thought it was. Anybody remember the ab belt? Ab belt people? Anyone remember the ab belt? I was one of those poor suckers who bought the ab belt thinking it was a good idea. I was totally bamboozled. At first, I was like, this is the worst idea ever. If you don't know what the ab belt is, it's this thing that you put around your abs. You put some gel on, and it electrocutes you until you get abs, essentially. <laughs> Watch the commercials. That's what they do. First, I thought, this is stupid. And then the more you watch it, it's like, well, I mean, that guy's got an eight-pack. Clearly, he's using the ab belt. So I can just sit on my couch and get abs? Absolutely. Worst idea ever, except it's back, y'all. It's back and it's improved. They have one for your abs, for your chest, for your arms, for your glutes, and for your legs. Y'all, we can lay on the couch, we can all get electrocuted, and we can get ripped. It is a poor, cheap counterfeit for the real thing. But we're so distracted by the final results. Man, we are so deceived when we don't achieve those results. We're distracted, we're deceived, and when that happens, we get disappointed. Another reason we're not ready. We're so disappointed in the things of this world, we refuse to believe anything else because we set all of our expectations on these materialistic things and these other people and these other ideas and our expectations are never met. We are always let down and we are disappointed. We have way too much faith in the world and no faith in the word of God whatsoever. It's why we're not prepared. Jesus is coming back. We have to be prepared. So what do we do? If we're followers of Jesus, what do we do? Well, the answer is pretty simple, really. We must prepare ourselves so we can do what? Rescue others from the flames of judgment. So we can prepare others. Prepare ourselves to prepare others. Anyone who ever has flown, you've gone through the safety checks whenever you fly. And what do they tell you with the safety checks? They drop down the oxygen mask. What do they tell you? Put on your oxygen mask first and then help the others around you. But as a parent especially, we think, well, that can't really be true. I need to help my kids first and then I will do their no, no, no. Put your mask on first, then help the other people around you. Why is that? Because if you are not prepared and taking care of yourself, you are no use to the people around you. Same goes for our faith. If we are not prepared and ready, we are no use to the people around us. So how do we get prepared? The Bible, great place to start. Read the Word of God. Take 15 minutes a day. Download the Bible app. It'll read to you. You don't even have to actually read it yourself. You know, the whole Bible in a year in about 15 to 20 minutes per day. We read the Word of God so God can actually read us. We pray. Talk to God and don't just give Him all the things that you want done by Friday. Pray and then just sit and just listen and just be in His presence. Ask for a response. There's daily devotionals that we can do. The amazing thing to do is find community. Find people to do these devotionals with people you do life with, people that will hold you accountable, who will call you out on your stuff when you need to be called out, and you've allowed them to do that because they love you for you, and that's all that really matters. They want to see you walk this thing out and want to carry you whenever you can't. That's how we help prepare other people. Easter, it's just around the corner. Maybe, just hear me out for a second. Instead of complaining about the restaurant that you always get fruit from that you didn't like this past meal, Maybe share something about Easter is coming instead. People are going to go to church on Easter. Christmas and Easter, people are going to show up. This place will be packed on Easter. 
And it's such a great opportunity just to invite people. Good Friday, Friday night, we'll have a worship experience here and at our Columbiana campus. Saturday, we have our helicopter Easter egg drop at Veteran Park. The entire thing is free. Free food, free drinks. There's tons of bouncy houses. We will drop tens of thousands of eggs from a helicopter. It's completely free. Why? To let people know that we love them and Jesus loves them. Then on Sunday, just invite them to church. Their whole life may not be altered in that instant, but man, that could be one step to be prepared for Jesus coming back. Because here's one thing that I know. No matter how hard we try, will be just like the people in Noah's day that didn't realize what would happen until it happened. When it's time, there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop it. You can't delay it. When it's time, it's time, and we don't know when that time is coming. Jesus is coming. The second thing Jesus is doing, Jesus is convicting. There's this misconception that Jesus is going to roll up in the party bus, and he's going to get all of his friends and say, let's go have fun, guys, for all eternity. The Bible doesn't necessarily teach us that. And Jude, verse 15, says, to execute judgment on the people of the world. Jesus is coming to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jesus is coming to judge us. That hurts a little bit. So I know some of the things that I've done... Not looking forward to that conversation. I think all of us can relate to that. Jesus is coming and he's coming to convict us. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. You can write that down as a reference. He says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. For some of us, that's going to be some good stuff and some not so good stuff. Some of it's going to be weighted heavier on one side or the other. But he's going to reward us for all that he has done. Now, he is full of love and grace and mercy, but he is coming to judge every single one of us. It kind of goes back to the principles of what we reap is what we sow, sowing and reaping. So what's that look like for us? What kind of seeds are we currently planting? Because you can't plant apple seeds and expect to get orange trees. It just doesn't work that way. It'd be awesome if it did sometimes, but it just doesn't work that way. So what seeds are we sowing today? Or what seeds is it that we need to start sowing today? Maybe instead of the seeds of selfishness and personal gain and influence and this and that, maybe instead, maybe we start planting seeds of love and grace and help and provision for other people. Why? So the harvest can be reaped for others. Because there's often times that we will plant seeds and we may never, ever see that harvest. But that's okay. Because it's not always about us. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 33. He says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence. And He will separate the people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand, the goats at his left. Are you going to separate us? Sheeps and goats. What, which side do we want to be on? Because he's coming and he's coming to convict us. He's coming to judge us. We hate being judged. Let's be honest, we hate being judged. We hate being criticized of anything, even if it's constructive, because we're always right. Everyone else is wrong. I'm always right. It's my truth, right? 
but he's coming to judge us. Here's something that I've taught my children when they started playing basketball this past season. Uh, we've taught my son's baseball team, who my wife and I are coaching, and even told the parents this. I think every one of us need to know this because I'm a sports guy related to sports terms. And all of us who watch sports on TV, we probably need to hear this as well. The referees know more than you do. The referees are the referees. They know the game better than you do. And now I know when your football team loses, it's always the referee's fault. You always have to play the other team and the referees. Your team is perfect if it wasn't for those stupid referees. I know. That's why we jump up and down. We scream and yell. We punch TVs. We yell at our family. All because the football game and the referees. Listen, the referees are probably in a much better position to make the call than you are from sitting on your couch or from across the stands. What we've taught our children is that the referee, whether you like the call or not, whether you agree with the call or not, the referee or the umpire is the final authority, period. You don't have to like it, but you have to accept it. When Jesus comes to convict and he comes to judge, you don't have to like it, but he is the final authority, period. No questions about it. And he's coming to judge every single one of us. So if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, what's our role in this? If we're going to snatch people from flames of judgment, what is it that we need to do? We need to represent those people in our lives like a lawyer would. Anytime someone gets any type of legal trouble and they're facing conviction, oftentimes, what's their very first phone call? To a lawyer. Someone who can help lead them to a path to freedom. Someone who knows the word of the law. Well, just like a lawyer would know the word of the law, we are called to know the word of God. Why? So we can represent other people who just don't know yet. It's actually knowing the word, which comes from knowing Jesus. Not just knowing the scripture, not just knowing the stories, but actually knowing Jesus. Jesus even talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, man, when I come back, people are going to be like, Lord, 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 hey, over here. Hey, remember me? Listen, I did all that cool stuff for you. Remember, I prayed that one time. Remember when I gave towards that one cause one time? I served. Then, remember me? Can I, can I get in? She's going to be like, that's, that's, that's great. But I never knew you. We have to know him. Not just know about Jesus. We have to actually know him. And how do we represent other people? We use our experience. Listen, we don't have to know all the words and every scripture and recite the Bible from the front to the back, but it's easy as just telling people what Jesus has done for you. Like we want to call those me too moments. Where we put our phones away, where we're so distracted for one minute and realize there are other human beings in our presence and we have a conversation with them. We learn a little bit more about it. We're open to it. When we have that conversation, we're talking and we're saying things. They may say, hey, well, you mean to tell me you went through that? I'm going through that right now. And it's as easy as saying, yeah, absolutely I did. Let me tell you what the change was, and it was Jesus. But we're so afraid to do that. And I think that's typically because we're so busy dwelling on all the things that have happened to us. All the storms, all the seasons, all the problems, we just are so consumed with things that have happened to us. But what if? What if none of those things actually happened to us? What if all of those things, those seasons, those storms, what if that was actually happening for us? 
What if those things happen for us? Why? So we can be prepared for what is to come. Why? So we can prepare other people. None of this actually happened to us, but it was for us. It was for God. It was for other people. What if that's what it was for? Jesus is coming to convict, and us, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to help represent other people. Why? To pull them from the flames of judgment. Jesus is coming. Jesus is convicting. And number three, Jesus is compelling. He is so compelling. Listen to this. Jude, chapter 1, verse 24. He says, Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away. And will bring, with, will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Listen to that for a second. Keep you from falling down. Falling down stinks. My wife kind of makes fun of me sometimes. Like, well, you're 40 now. You better not fall. You better watch out. You might break a hip. You'll be in big trouble. Falling down is no fun. It's no good. But he can keep you from falling. He'll bring with you great joy. How many of us experience great joy every single moment over every single day? Probably none of us. He will give us great joy with his glorious presence without a single fault. Zero blemishes. Zero faults whatsoever. That's compelling. That's pretty convincing. But that's Jesus. The story of Jesus and Jesus himself is extremely compelling. Makes you want to lean in a little bit closer. My wife, too, can be very compelling sometimes, very convincing sometimes. A few weeks ago, we went on a little weekend getaway to go see a concert that was in Orlando, Florida. So we got to go to Universal Studios, which we love to do and spend a few days there. But leading up to us leaving, she's like, you know, it's going to be just us. Why don't, why, why don't we ride the Velocicoaster? Okay. Wasn't expecting that. If you know anything about me, I like theme parks. I like roller coasters. I do not like heights whatsoever. Listen, if I was meant to fly, I would have wings. And I don't have wings. I'm not meant to fly. I'm not meant to be up high. So I did everything I could. I watched videos after video after video. Tried to prepare myself for what was to come in that moment. Listen, the Velocicoaster is 155 feet high and goes 70 miles per hour. Sucker's fast and it's high. But we were there. I was like, okay, fine. You know what? Let's do it. She was telling me, it's so smooth. It'll be so much fun. You're going to love everything about it. I was like, well, I don't know about that, but we'll see. Listen, there are times where you feel like you're going to fly out. In fact, most of the time, you aren't even actually in your seat. You're just kind of hovering above because you're flying all over the place. There's one time at the end where you do a barrel roll, and you literally feel like you're about to fly into the water. And you know what? I was scared to death. I was terrified. My heart rate was 180 the entire time I was doing it. Never been closer to Jesus than I was in that two minutes. (laughs) But I brought a photo to show you exactly how I was feeling in that moment because it was scary and it was tough and it was not easy. It wasn't all how I was expecting it to be whatsoever. But you know what? I had the absolute time of my life. It was absolutely awesome. Even though I was terrified throughout the whole thing. I mean, I, had, I was gripping the, 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 the arm bar as much as I could. My eyes were slammed shut. It was just absolutely horrifying for me. But I had the time of my life, and I knew at the end, it's like I survived. I'm going to be okay. But my wife, on the other hand, who's right next to me, she's smiling ear to ear. She's having the absolute time of her life. She is not, not have her eyes closed. She is not gripping the bar whatsoever. She is enjoying 
every second of it. And you know, as more I looked at the picture, the more I thought, that is so true in our walk with Jesus. At the very beginning, it's scary, it's hard, it's terrifying, because you're trying to figure out what to expect, and you have absolutely no control whatsoever. But once you realize he's got you, that he's going to keep you safe, you'll look a lot like my wife did in that picture where she's smiling ear to ear. She has not a care or worry in the world because she's been walking this thing out with Jesus for a long time. And no matter how fast it gets, how scary it gets, how high it gets, it does not matter because she knows he will always keep her safe. That's who Jesus is. That's why his story is so compelling, that he will never, ever leave us or fail us. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 33. He's preparing us. He's saying, now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. He's saying, look at the fig tree. Man, when it starts to bloom, it starts to sprout, you know summer is coming. Just as the Son of Man is, is near, you'll see the signs. Man, if you'll take off the blinders, you'll stop worrying about all of this other stuff. You'll see all the signs. He even starts to explain this. He's saying, man, there will be people who claim to be the Messiah. Like, if you'll just put me in power, everything's going to be great for everybody. You just need to let me lead everything, and everything is going to be perfect. Just let me be in power overall, and everything's going to be perfect for everyone. He says there will be war where nations are fighting other nations, where nations will rise and others will fall, that there will be famine, earthquakes, Natural disasters where you'll see persecution of the church where maybe the church is now deemed as extreme and hateful and evil. And you'll see people fall away from their faith and you'll see people whose love for themselves and their love for others has gone completely cold. He's given us signs all over the place. If we take our blinders and we focus on Jesus and we can see these things of this world, we'll realize we experience every single one of these. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is coming right now because we don't have a clue when it's going to be. But what we do know is that he's coming. He's coming to convict us, but his story is so compelling. Despite coming to convict us, he is full of grace and love. That's why his name has stood the test of time. That's why we're still talking about Jesus 2,000 years later. We're not talking about anyone else like we talk about Jesus thousands of years later. If you look around our world today, our world is in so much pain. If you look around just this room, you look at your friends, you look at your family, man, we are in so much pain. We're hurting. But that's the beauty of Jesus. Because when he went to the cross, he experienced every bit of pain that we could ever feel. That when Jesus went to the cross, he took your shame, he took your pain, your hurts, your guilt, your disappointments. Jesus took every that and it was nailed to the cross with him and he experienced every bit of it so we don't have to. That's who Jesus is. He takes our pain. There's nothing that you've ever experienced that he did not experience for you. That's why his story is so compelling.
that he took it all. And just as Jesus was resurrected, so are we. That our dead selves are brought back to life only through the resurrection. That's who Jesus is. And when the enemy is so adamant and so forceful and so constant to remind us of all the things that we've done, it's such a great reminder to what Jesus has done for us. He took the pain so we didn't have to. And when he was nailed to the cross with all of our junk and all of our stuff, he said, you are forgiven. You are accepted. You are included. You are adopted into the kingdom of heaven. No matter what anyone else says, I love you, and I'm taking that all from you so you wouldn't have to bear that. That's who Jesus is. It all starts with Jesus. I want to pray for you. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, our worship team's going to come back up. Listen, it all starts. all starts with Jesus. His story is so compelling, and he's so full of love. That's who he is. When he went to the cross and he died for every single one of us, when he took on all those burdens, all that weight, all that frustration that we feel day after day after day, it was all left to the cross with him. And that's where it begins, to actually know who Jesus is. And I know there are some of you who you feel the weight. You feel the disappointment. You feel the struggle. You feel the shame and the guilt just weighing on you every single day. Just be reminded what Jesus did for you, for me, for every single one of us. That we know that he is coming and he's going to convict. But because he is so full of love and grace and mercy, we will get to spend all of eternity with him. And it all starts with that relationship with him. Knowing Jesus, not just knowing who he is, but actually knowing Jesus. And if that's you, you'd simply say, God, today, today I'm asking for Jesus. That I recognize I don't have it together. And I'm going to lay everything at the cross. I'm going to leave everything at the cross today. That I recognize that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for me. And I'm asking for all forgiveness for all my sin. That I recognize that it is you who brought Jesus back to life. And I want to be brought back to life today. Today, I recognize Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life, and I want to make him number one in my life. And God, for every single one of us, as we leave here today, I'm asking for opportunity. For every single one of us, that this week we'll have an opportunity to rescue someone from the flames of judgment who just doesn't know you yet. That you'll give us the words, the courage, the wisdom, just to be able to share the goodness that you have given every single one of us that we'll see resurrection happen for so many people in our lives, in our families, in our county, that it will reach all over the world because you are the only one who can do it, God. And when you do, because you will, we'll give you all the credit and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we give Jesus every bit of love we've got today? Come on.